Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Art of Living author interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang. And today's show is brought to you by Palm Wonderful 100% pomegranate juice. It's health in a bottle. We have an excellent holiday program today about a surprising story of faith and friendship. Thanks so much for listening. As I say, we've got this great program and guest today who, after reading his new book, I've been looking forward to talking to him for a while. I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any episodes, last week was our 680th episode, and I spoke with physicist, NASA scientist, author, and Smithsonian associate Les Johnson about A Traveler's Guide to the Stars, the possibilities of interstellar exploration. Two weeks ago, I spoke to Smithsonian associate Clay Jenkinson about Gulliver's Travels, and the fascinating story within a story not just for children. Wonderful stuff. If you missed those shows, along with any others, you can go back and check them out, along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we will read it at the end of each show. Please leave reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks very much. Well, many people as I did, first came to know Sister Wendy Beckett in the 1990s through her popular television show on PBS, Sister Wendy's Odyssey. She was an unlikely celebrity, diminutive, dressed in a medieval-looking black habit of her own design, her lively and intelligent features offset by large spectacles, yet countless viewers became entranced by her tour of famous galleries around the world and by her incisive and empathetic commentary on the works of art she encountered along the way. In 2018, Sister Wendy Beckett passed away. Several years prior to Sister Wendy's passing, she began corresponding with our guest today, author and publisher Robert Ellsberg. The book that came from those conversations, titled Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship, it resulted from those letters, emails, conversations, and contact. It's out now. I've read it, and we'll be talking with Robert Ellsberg about it today on the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Um, and I'm just going to set up just a little bit, okay? <laughs> uh, in our correspondence, among other things, uh, Sister Wendy and I often exchanged uh, accounts of dreams that we had had. Uh, and I wanted to share with you uh, a particularly remarkable dream that she shared with me. Dearest Robert, I don't have the exciting narrative dreams that you have, but I did have a beautiful dream early this week. It was really in three parts. First, I was looking at magnificent pictures of lakes. Then I was actually walking beside these lakes, seeing them in their full reality. And then the lakes were inside me. I was containing the lakes. But the significant point is that when I was walking beside the lakes, I realized that there was something wrong. The lakes were being damaged, poisoned perhaps. And it was my great sorrow over this and my desire to purify them that carried me into the third stage, because in my own self the lakes were being changed and purified. I suppose this is an image of what being a Christian means. In Jesus we take the whole wounded world into ourselves and suffer with it, holding it out all the time to his holiness. So you see this was a deep and beautiful dream, 
a dream that enlarged me and made me feel a part of his redemptive suffering, which of course is true of all of us. That's why we still live and don't flit off to heaven. His lakes need us. So dearest Robert, with my love and prayer, Sister Wendy. And to this I responded, dearest Sister Wendy, the account of your dream is truly extraordinary. It would be wonderful if it were just the transition from seeing a painting of a lake to seeing the actual lake to realizing that the lake is inside of you. That would appear to describe the powers of insight, imagination, and compassionate empathy that you have brought to your apostolate of beauty. But then you take it to a completely different level when your contemplative eye becomes a kind of healing filter, purifying the pollution and healing the suffering of the earth. As you say, this could not be a more profound description of the Christian vocation. If it were appropriate to award points for a dream, I would say, well played, Sister Wendy. I'm speechless with admiration. That, of course, is our guest today, author, publisher, Robert Ellsberg, reading from his new book, which he's co-written, entitled Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. We will hear more today from Robert Ellsberg about his new book, about his hope that those who read it and these letters will discover the person in Sister Wendy behind the television persona, a modern mystic, a genius of the spiritual life, a person of far-seeing sensitivities, a great lover of God whose capacity for love she was still discovering at the end of her life. And perhaps you'll feel, as I have, very much included in her final apostolate of friendship. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast author Robert Ellsberg. Robert Ellsberg, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my best to you. I hope you and yours are well and um, that these trying times, um, you know, we were just coming off of uh, isolation and lockdown. So many in my audience are um, getting out and about for the first times, and, and I hope everything's well for you and yours. It is. Thank you very much. Of course. Well, it's great to talk to you. And... Um, so nice to be talking this time of year to you. you. You've written this wonderful new book, Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. I've got a copy of it right here in my hands. Thank you again for sending it. Thank you very much for generously reading to us. I, I just have to tell you, I as I read through the book, I, I was inspired. Um, it was just... Uh, uh, you use the words in your reading truly extraordinary to to describe Sister Wendy. I, I have to agree, and and I and I wanted to start because I think many in my audience will know Sister Wendy. This book will be new to everyone, but we'll we'll know of Sister Wendy's PBS celebrity and her art history shows. I wonder how you first became aware of Sister Wendy. Was it via the TV shows? And and in particular, maybe touch on how the letter exchange between you two began, because I, I just think that's a fascinating element here, too. Well, I, like everyone else, first uh, learned about Sister Wendy from television. Just I discovered her by accident. Nobody uh, tipped me off to this extraordinary show where this uh, English nun in a, in a black habit would uh, walk around in museums and talk about about the paintings in front of her. I found it completely by accident, and I became a, a huge fan, never suspecting that I would ever know her, uh, or that much less that we would become close friends. 
Uh, but over time, I am a, a publisher, and I had occasion to send her books. Uh, she had occasion to write books that I published, uh, and we exchanged uh, friendly notes over a period of many years. Uh, but I, I knew that her real vocation was to solitude, and uh, she managed to maintain fairly uh, strict kind of boundaries with people. She didn't encourage uh, close relationships or friendships or correspondence. And at one point, she even said to me, uh, I enjoy writing to you, but if my vocation is to solitude, uh, communication that doesn't have a real purpose uh, is really not part of that. And uh, I certainly respected that. So we jump ahead some years, actually. Uh, I couldn't have been more surprised uh, when this new phase of our relationship began just in the last three years of her life. Uh, this book covers uh, correspondence from 2016 till her death in 2018. And it began uh, with a, a message that a, a, a card that she had sent me, an Easter card, had gone astray because my postal address had changed. Uh, and by this time, she was uh, no longer living in a caravan on the grounds of the Carmelite Monastery, but because of her age and illness, she had moved inside the enclosure, though she wasn't a member of the monastery. But a young uh, American Carmelite sister would now visit her once a day with a laptop computer and take uh, dictation. So Sister Rendy uh, uh, you know, reached out to me, and I wrote back uh, with my address, and I told her that we were publishing a book about Vincent van Gogh. And of course, that was very interesting to her, and she asked about that, and I responded, and I, I expected that that you know, chain of correspondence would peter out pretty quickly, but to my surprise, it just continued, and it began to get more and more uh, deep and more profound, and evidently, our correspondence had found a real purpose, uh, and that continued on almost a daily basis until she died. Sister Wendy... This is a person who really – she's a media star and, and she'd written – you'd published a number of her books. She she even had written a musical I found online. Very impressive person with a lot of information out there about her, an awful lot of contact, an awful lot of wonderful material. What, what was it that you learned, I think, that that we didn't already know about Sister Wendy and her spiritual life that so impressed you about this and, and, and to take those letters and turn them into this wonderful book? Well, you could learn a lot from about Sister Wendy from just watching her programs or reading her, her books, which were mostly commentaries or reflections on works of art. Uh, you could tell that she was really a mystic, that she was brilliant, that she had uh, tremendous powers of empathy and insight, uh, that she was very clever and funny. And there were interviews with her as well where she talked to a certain extent about how she became interested in art. But she uh, really, uh, people actually did not know very much about the story of Sister Wendy or her inner life. And that's the way she liked it. She 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 felt, first of all, that there was no story there to share, that she was of no importance whatsoever. She was simply a vehicle uh, to uh, talk to people about things that mattered uh, via art. Uh, she hoped that in, in discovering beauty, people might be led to the source of beauty. So she felt that it was a kind of religious apostolate. But in fact, uh, other publishers, other journalists, myself included, had urged her to write more about her internal, her interior life, her life of prayer, her her contemplative practice. And she always said, absolutely not. It's, it's of no interest to anybody. And it was really sort of nobody's business. Um, and that's what made this uh, exchange so extraordinary, because 
it began by uh, just sharing our own thoughts about about saints and life of holiness. I had written a number of books about that, which she had read. Uh, and so subjects of, of that were important to both of us and mutual concern. But gradually I began to share a little bit more about my own life uh, and I think make myself a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, and to my surprise, she began gradually to open up and kind of lower the drawbridge and uh, invite me in to reflect on things that she said she herself had not given any thought to and she couldn't remember when about her childhood her early religious life, uh, her calling to a life of, of, of a hermit, a contemplative life, um, and uh, even to look you know, kind of deeply into long-standing kind of uh, judgments and opinions that she had long held that she was beginning to soften uh, on, think more about in a different perspective as, as our relationship developed. So I, I think that um, – Many people know her, at least on the, on the surface, but I think this book uh, reveals a completely different, uh, not inconsistent, but a, a side of Sister Wendy that, that, that very few people, if any, knew. And thank you for that. S- Sister Wendy passed in, in 2018. Your, your letters really began, the letters that formed this book really began in 2016. So I'm assuming that Sister Wendy was in failing, somewhat failing health, and you, you refer to um, assistance that that she'd received in uh, with a laptop, writing some of these, dictating some of this. Did you notice, though, uh, a, a greater strength of purpose and and faith that touched you during during this period of time? That despite a weakening physical condition, perhaps uh, was there a greater um, strength that came from her her beliefs and uh, her ideas about uh, her faith? Well, I think as a contemplative, uh, Sister Wendy had always lived her life in the presence of the, of the, of the cross and the relation between uh, you know, the suffering and, and life uh, of, 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 of Jesus and, and, and his love. Obviously, when you're at the end of your life and and facing a terminal illness, as she was, that does you know kind of concentrate your mind. Uh, and I think that uh, the background of our correspondence was certainly her anticipation of of imminent end of her life, whether that was going to be in a matter of of weeks, months, or years. Uh, from the very first letter, she mentioned to me that she had a, a, a terminal illness. Uh, uh, pulmonary fibrosis, the toughening of the uh, tissues in her lungs that increasingly made it difficult, uh, very difficult for her to to breathe. Uh, and she said that this became, you know, kind of also incorporated into her spiritual practice or awareness because of the sense that that breath is so related to the Holy Spirit, the breath of life uh, that comes to us from God. And so that with each struggling breath was a kind of reminder of God and a reminder of her own mortality. Uh, she also was having frequent heart attacks. She would fall down and break her arm. She would have all kinds of accidents. Uh, so she was she was very elderly and frail. Uh, I met her finally in 2017. I went to Quidnum to give a retreat there at the monastery where she lived and was able to meet her a couple times. And she was uh, in a wheelchair uh, and she was breathing oxygen uh, to help her. She Her hearing was very bad. Uh, it was difficult for her to raise her head. So she had all these uh, physical ailments. 
But it was striking to me that she was uh, had such a, a, a mind. Uh, she was a voracious reader. And uh, she had this uh, capacity for someone who lives in that kind of level, uh, despite all of the physical infirmities, uh, to be able to kind of rejoice uh, in in uh, encountering some great mind or soul in her reading or gazing on on art that that lifted her spirits. Uh, so I definitely had a sense of that she was approaching the end of her life, and, and it was very obvious to her as well. Uh, but for her, that was not a matter of something to be afraid of or to to worry about. It was, it was almost like a uh, an elopement. You know, it was kind of to a reunion with her beloved as she saw it, uh, and she she believed that when the time came, that that was something that we should all feel very happy for her. She kept saying, "This is the happiest time of my life," um, and um, you know, I had not known her well in earlier times of her life, uh, but I I thought that was not just something she was saying. Uh, piously, but that reflected uh, really her her spirituality. Hey, it's Paul. We'll be right back with our guest, but I want to take a moment and mention our generous sponsor, Palm Wonderful. You know, all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience know full well that the first step in taking care of your body and mind begins with eating and drinking right every day. And what better way to get your daily fill of antioxidant goodness than with delicious Palm Wonderful 100% pomegranate juice. With 700 milligrams of polyphenol antioxidants in every serving, this 100% juice from whole-pressed pomegranates helps protect your body against harmful free radicals. Palm contains no added sugars, preservatives, or fillers. It truly is health in a bottle. Drink it daily, feel it forever. We have been drinking Palm Wonderful 100% pomegranate juice in our house for a while, and for Thanksgiving, my wife made the palm salsa recipe instead of traditional cranberry jelly. Wow. We used palm juice and palm fresh fruit, and it was amazing, just delicious. It's now our go-to palm salsa. To find delicious recipes and learn more about the antioxidant goodness of palm, visit palmwonderful.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with author Robert, author and publisher Robert Ellsberg. Robert Ellsberg has co-written with Sister Wendy Beckett the new book titled Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. We all are aware of Sister Wendy Beckett, the late British nun, and uh, very much a self-taught uh, art historian. And in this book, we learn so much about her faith and uh, so much about this wonderful friendship uh, between y- you you both. It struck me as I read the book, uh, Robert Ellsberg, that, that despite her age and her generation, she was growing in faith throughout all of these letters that, that she had an awareness and knowledge. She really had this very modern, I thought, outlook uh, and, and opinion. And I wonder if you'd, if you'd tell us maybe a little bit about some of those notions as they relate to um, 
particular, maybe maybe ha- as they relate to the the future of the church and and gender. And then she had this very interesting take on horse racing that maybe you could tell us about too. Well, I was always discovering these amusing little details about Sister Wendy. One of them was the fact <laughs> yeah. that uh, the subject of horses came up, and she said that she loved horses, loved when she was <laughs> traveling on her show and would stay in a hotel. Very happy if she could watch a horse race uh, on television. She said, "I had a, I discovered that I had an incredible talent." in uh, knowing which horse was going to win. Uh, she said, I probably could have made a lot of money off, off of that. And she said, it wasn't so much that I knew which horse was going to win as which horse most wanted to win. And she, she, she felt that success, you know, was based uh, ultimately in our desires. She, she seemed to have uncanny uh, ability to do that. But it didn't really surprise me. She just had such uh, empathy and uh, an ability to kind of read people's souls uh, which is often said of you know many medieval saints, uh, I could tell her just the slightest thing about somebody, and she would seem to know all about them and all about their story and who they were and what their real motivations were and what their character and soul was. Uh, she says uh, she said she was very bad at knowing herself. She said, but I'm I'm really I think quite good at knowing other people, or at least being able to recognize their holiness or their you know capacity for holiness. Um, as for her attitudes you know, about the church, I mean, of course, nobody ever wrote about an article about her, her art show without commenting on how uh, f- free she seemed to be of the prudery that they would expect of a, of a nun wearing a, a habit. She would comment you know, very appreciatively on the human body, the naked body. She would see in paintings and people would sort of giggle about that and say as if there was something kind of naughty about a, a nun uh, who, who didn't cover her eyes at a naked body. Uh, she thought that that you know, the body, like everything else, was created by God, and it was beautiful, and it was nothing dirty or, or naughty about it or silly. Uh, and she thought that was re- revealed more about people's uh, prejudices or their stereotypes about nuns. But uh, despite the fact that she lived this kind of medieval life uh, as a hermit uh, on the grounds of a Carmelite monastery uh, and spent you know seven or eight hours a day in silent prayer, uh, and wore this medieval-looking habit. Uh, you know, surprised. You know, people would be, I think, to to discover her her very open attitudes toward many things in the church. She and I both uh, shared a, a great enthusiasm for Pope Francis uh, and the uh, kind of direction and leadership and tone that he has uh, given to the church. She felt that he was really bringing the church back to the spirit of Jesus and the emphasis on on mercy on compassion uh, over an obsession with rules and orthodoxy um, on, you know, just toward the end of, of her, her life. She just mentioned in passing that she said, I, I think that someday it'll seem ridiculous to us that uh, women couldn't be ordained. For instance, she says the idea that women can't be priests uh, just because Jesus was a man does not seem to me to be the mind of God. So she had these, uh, you know, ideas that would shock someone, for instance, who 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 would look at her and, and assume that she must be very very uh, con- conservative. Um, she felt the same way about a lot of attitudes towards sexuality. She says that you know that that we uh, we we live out of out of understandings of of sexuality from thousands of years ago, whereas we know much more about it uh, uh, today. And she felt that a lot of all of attitudes and and uh, 
rules and teachings uh, were likely to change. But she she was not in a hurry for that to happen. She felt it would happen all in good time, just the way it, it happened with the churches becoming reconciled with uh, Galileo or Darwin, for instance. Uh, so those were, you know, some of the ways that that uh, that she seemed like a very modern and contemporary person, uh, despite this very medieval appearance. The other thing that struck me about her was that as a nun, as a as a resident of of the monastery, she had a very interesting take on sin. She didn't take sin very seriously, it it seemed. And I wonder if you'd tell us specifically about this idea of Sister Wendy's of, of forgiveness and sin, because I think it's it's refreshing. Well, Sister Wendy reminded me a lot of the 14th century uh, hermit anchoress uh, Julian of Norwich, uh, who lived not very far away from her in England uh, back in the 14th century, uh, and who lived, you know, enclosed in a cell attached to, a, to the wall of a church uh, for many decades, where she uh, wrote and reflected on her spiritual or mystical visions. And and Julian, like Sister Wendy, thought that we put all too much emphasis on sin uh, and uh, the kind of shame and guilt that goes along with that, where she felt that that the, the greater reality was God's overwhelming mercy and love. Uh, she said, I certainly believe in sinfulness, but she felt that sin is in the sense of consciously confronting the will of God and choosing against it in a conscious way is, is, is less frequent than we think. And most of what we call sin is weakness and human imperfection, which God is much more tolerant of than we suppose as long as we desire to be, to be with God and to grow in the direction of God. Uh, so, for instance, she, she felt that the, the sacrament of, of reconciliation or confession, as it used to be called, uh, was a wonderful thing that people should take more advantage of it. She said, it's not a matter of tabulating all the things we did wrong. It's a bringing to God a sense of our lack of, of love, our failures in love. And when we do that, she says, God rushes in with his love to fill that space. And it's important that we do this because that makes it more possible for us to share that love with others. So it's really not just about me and God, my my little individual puny soul, um, but uh, through confession, through through welcoming that love and, and mercy of God, uh, that we can become agents or, or can transmit that that love, share it with the world. Robert Ellsberg, I really appreciate your time. I, I know you are very busy, and uh, thank you again for joining us today for your generosity in reading. I just really have one final question. We're talking. Uh, together around the 1st of December, um, many uh, holy holidays are, are approaching, and certainly the compassion of Sister Wendy is is evident throughout the book. And I, I wondered if you'd just leave us with a message of that compassion and, and what we can all take away from your book, especially during this time of year, um, that's so important to to touch our souls as, as it as it did yours, uh, and and this sense of humanity that comes from Sister Wendy. Well, it's important to understand that you know Sister Wendy, when she spent these years talking about art, she really wasn't trying to promote art appreciation, so to speak. She was uh, through art, through looking at art, uh, she was in a way kind of offering lessons in contemplative seeing, to see things in their deepest uh, dimension, their ultimate dimension. 
And if we could practice doing that with art, we could take that uh, contemplative uh, eye or that eye of the heart uh, to looking at all the things in our lives, our own stories. I think the thing that I most take away from this exchange that we had was how much we reflected to one another the ways that God had been present in our lives, uh, not just in the happy times or the times when we felt closest to God, but even in the times when we felt most confused and dejected and, and, and uh, un, uncertain and doubting. Uh, and so, you know, I, I would bring kind of my daily life to her and she would sort of put it on the altar of her heart and kind of bless it and return it to me. Uh, she, she lived with such a sense of, the, of, of God's enveloping love all around us. And her main uh, concern was that to try to impart that sense to others, that peop- other people might see that as well. And I think as that became the message, you know, in our, in our exchange, it's one of the reasons why she began to trust and feel that our correspondence had, had a meaning for other people, perhaps besides ourselves, and entrusted this uh, to me and even encouraged me to think about maybe doing something with it. I think she felt that there was a message that people most needed to hear, which is the, the love of God and how God is present in their lives and how God is present all around us, uh, even in, in the situations and times when, when we feel most broken and most lost. So I hope that people will, will if, they, if they get that from the book, that will be the intention that Sister Wendy and I both have for it. Thank you. And thank you, Robert Ellsberg, for joining us today, for writing this wonderful book. Again, the title of the book is Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. The book is getting great reviews. I can't recommend it enough. Michelle Jones, an editor, uh, has said to read Dearest Sister Wendy is to be touched by a living flame of grace. The depth of genuine communication and connection between Sister Wendy and Robert Ellsberg is rare and exhilarating to behold. Page after page, I found myself moved and enriched in depths that I didn't even know existed. I am roundly convinced that it is impossible to overstate the blessedness and wonder of this remarkable book. Again, Robert Ellsberg, co-writer along with Sister Wendy Beckett of this fabulous book. Great, great time of year to be reading these kinds of things and such a nice time of year for you to join us too. Thank you for your time. I'd love to have you back. This has been very inspiring, Robert Ellsberg. So thank you again and happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you so much. Anytime. We're listening today to Monastery Bells from Smithsonian Folkways. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks, of course, to Robert Ellsberg for his time and generously reading from his new book, Dearest Sister Wendy, A Surprising Story of Faith and Friendship. It's available now. Check out our show notes for where you can find it. My thanks, of course, to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe, which I am mentioning in every show because I want to bring attention to the issue of assault rifles, which aren't safe. They're not safe in anyone's hands except for the military and law enforcement. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn, schools. Please, let's work together to eliminate assault rifles and let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Today's show was edited for Link. To hear the full interview, please check out our website for this episode and all episodes at notold-better.com or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and be sure to leave a five-star review or comment wherever you get your podcasts. 
Our Twitter feed is Not Old Better. And we're on Instagram at Not Old Better, too. The Not Old Better Show is a production of NOBS Studios. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and I hope you'll join me again next time to talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.